0: Today I talk to Dr. Andrew Braff. Andrew is a lecturer, facilitator, keynote speaker, and broadcaster, and has over 25 years experience in writing, producing, and presenting more than 3,500 leadership marketing team keynotes and programs to audiences in more than 80 countries. Talk to him today about his book, Leadership, The Exponential Effect. It is a well-researched, principle-based book that explores the relationship between self-leadership, leading others, leading teams, and leading for results. Enjoy the interview. Welcome to the Business Bookshelf Podcast. I'm your host, Lance Pepler. Like you, I'm a lifetime learner and find books one of the best ways to do this. So the purpose of this podcast is to interview authors of new business books, get insight into their thinking, lives, and the businesses they run, all in a light-friendly manner. So today our guest is Dr. Andrew Braff. And Andrew is a lecturer and a facilitator, a keynote speaker, and broadcaster with over 25 years' experience. We're speaking to Andrew today about his new book, Leadership, The Exponential Effect. And what the book covers is four different areas. It covers self-leadership, which is leading me, leading others, which is leading them, leading teams, leading all of us, and leading for results, developing solutions. So
1: welcome to the podcast, Andrew. Lance, thank you very much for this opportunity. Great to be on the show. It's fantastic to have you. So, Andrew, where am I speaking to you from today? I'm talking to you from the magnificent garden route of the southern tip of the African continent, uh, mm. just outside Knysna, in a small town called Sedgefield. Beautiful. What If I came to visit you and got
0: into an airplane, which seems unlikely these days, and flew down to you, where would you take me there in Knysna uh, for an afternoon uh, you know, to show me the world that you live in?
1: Mm. Afternoon would be tough, like- We'd probably need a couple of weeks. Okay. So, I think my go to would be we'd take a 10K hike across the, the beach through the Khokama Reserve. Mm. Um, and then, once we've done that, we jump onto the kayak and go around the lagoon um, and then probably finish off with a, you know, a, 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 a in the evening. I mean, it is just mm. paradise on earth. Absolutely.
0: It's one of my favorite parts of South Africa for sure. Um, so, Andrew, could you tell us about your career uh, leading to the BRAF Leadership Institute? Uh, you know, a brief overview of what brought yes, you to sure. today.
1: So, I started out in educational broadcasting, Lance, um, in television and, and, and radio many years ago and uh, realized that that was going to be a tough sell just as a competitive career. Mm. So, I I went into teaching for a while and then segued back into educational broadcasting. um, And from there went into adult education. So I started in in the fields of sales and marketing and doing sales and marketing training. Um, I then qualified as a chartered marketer and got into marketing strategy and then realized that actually, if you want to talk about leadership from a strategic point of view, you have to understand, you know, what happens in the boardroom. And so I went and then did a, a master's in organizational leadership and kept going. Um, So leadership has been really something that's fascinated me for years, and now in the Leadership Institute that I run, um, we deliver solutions, training solutions, executive coaching, um, and facilitation both live and virtual um, to audiences in about 80 countries.
0: Now, I'm going to be speaking to you more about the BRAF Leadership Institute later in this interview that for now, the reason, main reason we're talking to you about is your, your fantastic new book, Leadership, The Exponential Effect. So, Andrew, what led you to writing this book? What was its purpose? And can you give us a brief overview of it?
1: Lance, the book had been bubbling for the past five or six years. Mm. And I realized that although I had a pretty good handle on some of the academic principles of leadership, these were messages that I think we needed to be communicating, particularly in a South African context, mm. um, in a way that would be almost a crossover, if you like. So I didn't want to write a dry academic tome. Mm. I did want it to be well-researched. It's got about 140 references that I've put in as end notes. So for people who are you know, serious students of leadership, they can go there. But I wanted to try and write something that would be accessible that would be informative and entertaining and would be done in a way that people who maybe are looking to learn about leadership would be able to learn from the stories of people who've journeyed across different sectors of, of society. So I have people mm. from, um, you know, salvage masters who are, you know, turning around the cost of Concordia to captains of industry to leaders of NGO. NGOs. Um, I think it was really about trying to get the application of leadership in today's world um, in a way that was accessible.
0: Mm. Uh, yeah, I do like it in the book when you 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 mention whole different excerpts from your interviews. Uh, you know, you mentioned the Concordia, and then you also ent- you know, the the guy that travelled around Africa. I forget his name now on his bicycle. Riyad Mansa. Yeah, yeah. So on Mansa. Rion Mansa. So you take excerpts from your interview with Rion Mansa and different parts, and then you include it in the book. So those are the stories
1: that you talk about in the book, right? Well, the idea is to take a principle, each chapter, the 12 Mm. chapters, looks at a principle of leadership. And then what I try and do is walk that tightrope between understanding that principle from a very solid academic base, Mm. but also then putting it into layman's language and underpinning that with a story that people can relate to.
0: Mm, And you do it excellently. So now the first first sentence of your introduction says that we need a leadership reset. Why do we need a leadership reset? What is that all about?
1: Well, it's really interesting, Lance, that in 2015, there was a survey done by the World Economic Forum, uh, which they titled Outlook on the Global Agenda. Mm. And there were a number of things that came out of that. But one of those was that globally, we face a crisis of leadership. And so when you look at some of the issues that they highlighted in that survey, um, you know they were all to do with global trends. They were all to do with issues that um, uh, impacted people, deepening, deepening income inequality, growth in joblessness, um, geo-strategic issues, rising pollution, intensifying nationalism. Um, but one of those was this lack of leadership. In fact, 86% of the respondents said that there was a leadership crisis at the time. Mm. Uh, Now, when that survey was done five years ago, nobody knew that we'd be sitting in the middle of a a pandemic-induced lockdown. Mm. Um, And so I make the point that even more so now, five years later, um, we certainly need to really think about leaders and leadership in a way that um, would address what I'm saying is a a non-sustainable leadership vacuum.
0: And your book, Leadership, the Exponential Effect. Now, from my business, and, and I run a business called IdeaStorm, and part of my business is looking at exponential technology. So Morse's law that doubles every you know, 18 to 24 months and how the, the chip doubled. Uh, do you, when you say the exponential effect, do you mean it in that way? Is it a, a doubling effect or what do you mean by the exponential effect?
1: So I'm not a mathematician, Lance, and I am hmm. taking some poetic license. But I think it's a great metaphor for how when things go wrong or go well at the personal level Mm. and then are translated into leadership interpersonally and then into teams and then into organizations, one can see this exponential effect. And it works both ways. You know, there are many Mm. examples of small decisions and actions that leaders take that can have incremental gains and have huge success. And then there can be people who have character flaws or make decisions that are really not great that can also have huge unintended consequences. So, yeah, I'm not using it strictly in the mathematical sense. I do try and lay out early on why I've gone for that Mm. metaphor. Mm. Um, But I'm really arguing for that sense that when you understand the relationship between having these separate individual leadership elements together, Mm. um, I actually say you need the right elements at the right time in the right place. And I use this word to catalyze, then you see the exponential effect. And that's really where I'm coming from. Mm,
0: mm. Now, your book is divided, as I said in the intro, into four different sections. So you've got the self-leadership, leading me, leading others, which is leading people, leading teams, leading us, and leading for results, developing solutions. And I would love to, you know, spend hours with you going through the different areas, but maybe as a taste, we could focus on part one, which is the leading me. Um, Why did you start with that? What is so important about a leader first knowing about themselves before they lead others?
1: Lance, every researcher that I've interacted with, and every thought leader around leadership who really knows their stuff, Mm. will tell you that probably one of the most difficult forms of leadership is self leadership. If You can't lead yourself. uh, How can you ever hope to lead a family or lead a team or lead an organization? Mm. And so, you know, some of the people who've looked at my book have said, well, you've really tried to take on a lot in bringing those four different areas of leadership together. But that was the whole exercise, was to try and show that interrelationship between self-leadership and leading others and leading teams Mm. and leading for results. And I started with the self-leadership piece because I make the point that everything hinges on character, everything hinges on understanding your purpose. Mm. And I think in the new world of leadership, as much as we talk about a world that is volatile and uncertain and complex, and ambiguous, Um, it is also recurrent. In other words, this pandemic is just going on and on and on. And so the the counter to that, the VUCA positive that we talk about in leadership is that we need vision and understanding and clarity and agility and resilience. And these are all personal qualities that you need to have as a leader. So if you don't have those tied back to leadership character, Mm. um, I think you disqualify yourself at the door, Lance.
0: And so if we can focus a little bit more on those three areas that you've just spoken about, um, character as a first step in, in developing self, um, what at its base is character? Uh, obviously, you're talking about a good character and a positive character and, and strength, and, but how would you define character in a leader?
1: Well, for me, Lance, it hinges very much on the non-negotiables, the core drivers that con- constitute who you are, what you stand for. Um, it's, your, it's your moral qualities that make you distinctive. Um, and the metaphor that I use here is, is, is diamonds. When you go and look at a diamond, it is understood in terms of a number of characteristics. Mm. So there's the cut. And the cut of the diamond you know, gives you the polished finish. It gives you the brilliance. It gives you that scintillation. Um, then there's the color. Uh, we know that the rarest diamonds are actually colorless, although they, they do also talk about blue and pink diamonds, which are very valuable. Then you've got the clarity of the diamond, which is you know, the degree to which it's free of any blemishes. And then you've got the, the carrot or the weight of the diamond. And those things, the cut and the color and the clarity and the carrot, give the, the diamond buyer or seller what we call confidence. Now, if you think about character, The question is, just as a diamond has facets, what are the facets of character as leaders? And I spend quite a bit of time in that first chapter talking about what I see as four critical facets of character. So I start with identity. And these are big questions, Lance. You know, they're probably not necessarily things that every leader would be signing up to have to answer in a book like this. But I'm arguing that unless you can answer the who am I question, and unless you can answer the integrity question in terms of an, uh, you know, an alignment between what you believe and what you say and what you do. Mm. Um, and unless you can answer the intent question. So what is your intent as a leader? Uh, what are you driving at? What is your goal? Is your intent only for self-improvement or is your intent service and the betterment of others? Uh. And I also think character is about insight. So you, You've got to be self-aware. You've got to be emotionally intelligent. You've got to be socially aware. And I think you've got to be situationally aware. So character is a very complex um, uh, discussion, uh, Lance. And what I've tried to do is say, here are some questions. Every chapter ends with a set of questions Mm. to ask people to reflect on where do they see themselves in terms of character and where are the areas that they might think they need to adjust so that they know that they have a rock solid foundation when it comes to that question. I think there are too many examples of leaders who are very gifted, but who don't have the character. And so they're able to enjoy tremendous prominence and wonderful following and they have great success, but they fall at the hurdle of character. uh, They fall at the hurdle of self-leadership lines. And so, yeah, I I start there because I think without that, there really isn't a a leadership conversation to be had.
0: Yeah, so true. And
1: then you go on to purpose. So, purpose is the hottest trend in
0: world today. Like um, my, my business, again, we believe in like a massive transmit of purpose or purpose in people. And that's what, you know, in companies, that's their North Star. And in people, that's what drives them. Uh, can you tell us from your perspective, what is so important about purpose in a leader that, you know, that so drives them?
1: Well, in the work that I've done, Lance, I think the purpose question, that enduring sense of purpose is critical. Mm. Um, And I make the comment in in the chapter on purpose that you can't have purposeful leaders if they're not purpose-filled. And I see too many leaders in the organizations that I work with who are all geared towards mission, vision, and values at a corporate or organizational level, Mm. but have absolutely given no thought to their own personal sense of purpose. And if mm-hmm. we're talking about authentic leaders, then these are people who have that deep sense of purpose. I also think, as we talk about uh, managing the complexities of this world we're in, that there's also a medical benefit, Lance. Mm-hmm. We now see from a number of psychological sources that um, if you talk about well being, the need for meaning and purpose is number one, it's the deepest driver of well being there is. So being able to articulate what your purpose is, what are you good at? What do you enjoy? Why are you here? What are you doing here? Um, You know, if money was no concern, how would you spend your time? What, what deeply motivates you? Um, And so I make the point in that chapter that a leader who is purposeful and purpose filled Mm -hmm. is going to be committed to finding answers to those critical questions. Uh, And I'm, I'm a strong believer, Lance, that unless you can answer that question, you will never achieve the significance uh, for which we were created.
0: Mm. And then the last section, um, just to round up the developing self. And once again, uh, anybody who's interested in and found these answers and quest debate discussions that we're having really interesting, is to buy the book and to look into the other areas: the leading others, the leading teams, and the leading for results is resilience, which is obviously so vital in the COVID area area that we live in. Could you maybe speak speak about resilience for a few seconds and resilience in a leader?
1: Well, let me give you the medical uh, reference first, Lance. It's the ability to withstand or to adapt or to rebound from extreme challenges or adversity. Mm. So it's not that resilient people don't bend. It's not that they don't face difficulty. It's not that they don't you know, suffer their own challenges. It's what you do as a result of that. And part of the study that I did in the book was around work they did in the military where they found a couple of different types of soldiers' response to uh, being placed into conflict uh, situations. So some of them really just end up, you know, uh, presenting with post-traumatic stress disorder. Mm. Others seem to be relatively invulnerable and kind of get through it. But there's another group which uh, they characterized as having post-traumatic growth. Uh, This idea that they don't just bend, but they bounce back. And they don't just bounce back, but they bounce forward. And they do that in a way that is around some understanding of coherence and manageability and understanding what is in their control and what is not in their control. And so I, I really think resilience is a choice, Lance. And as leaders, if I go back to the VUCA model I spoke about earlier, I do think that R of resilience is something that needs to be added in. Because without that, we're not going to be able to get through this thing.
0: So true. So thank you, Andrew. So just the three things in in developing self is character, purpose, and resilience. So thank you so much for those. Just to get back to you and your work that you do, Andrew, in the BRAF Leadership Institute, could you tell us a little bit more about that? So that uh, you know, It's divided into different areas that you focus on uh, in the, the BRAF Leadership Institute. Could you just give us an overview and the listeners an overview of what you do?
1: Sure. So we provide solutions that are usually customized, mm-hmm. uh, typically for corporate clients around the world. So I've focused specifically on, on corporate training, um, which means that these are organizations that tend to have larger employee bases. Although more recently, we've started to work with, you know, um, entrepreneurs and small to micro medium enterprise. Mm. Uh, but the four solutions that we offer are one, we have a, a leadership development piece. Um, the second is, as I said to you, we look at sales and marketing. Um, and in there, I teach uh, negotiation skills as well, which has been a very popular program. We have a big emphasis on high-performing teams, um, and then the, the, the fourth area is this borderless workplace, which we started to work with some of our London-based clients about uh, 12, 13 years ago. Um, we now see it almost as a foregone conclusion, you know, after what's happened with Corona. Um, but 13, 14 years ago, the idea of working in a in a distributed, non-collocated team, uh, non-collocated team was quite a new idea Lance. I think now um, for many of us, it's gonna just become how we do things. When, when
0: I first saw that, I thought surely the borderless workplace is a new thing that you've added. So you've actually been doing that for 12 or 13 years already. We
1: have, we have. And I think the, the whole idea is leading virtual teams, working remotely, um, understanding many of the principles that we would teach in co-located teams, but recognizing that when you introduce the dynamics of time zones and geography and distance and culture, that you have to be, you have to be up for that. And what we've seen Lance is oh. that technology means that you and I can have this conversation um, over the airwaves and mm. over distance. Um, we can tap into meet with anybody, anywhere at any time. We're more connected than ever, but the leadership piece around Understanding how to build trust, how to create the social cohesion, how to create alignment virtually um, is really, really important. And so I talk in the book about bandwidth, the idea that for some Mm. conversations, you would have low bandwidth, um, an instant message, um, not really too much need for emotional engagement. But other conversations need high bandwidth. They need a video call, they need webcam, they need time. They need uh, a specific focus. And what we're finding even since COVID, Lance, is that uh, leaders fall into many different categories with sending people home. Some people are saying to me, I've heard nothing from my leader. You know, there's no communication. Others want them to sit on Mm -hmm. a Zoom call with the webcam open for nine hours a day so they can check on them all the time. (laughs) Um, And then in between that, you've got misunderstanding and ambiguity and confusion. So what I do is I go to some of the companies that are really doing this well, they tend to be in the tech space, and say, tell us, what have you guys learned about working virtually that we could then translate into into other parts of of organizations, whether that be corporates or NGOs? And so that borderless workplace thing, I think, is a way that helps us to kind of give a label to a more all-encompassing way of working. Hmm. And have you seen
0: an intake and interest in that offering from the Bradford Leadership absolutely, Institute? Absolutely. Absolutely. Around-
1: and I think what's hmm. interesting is as people realize that hmm. they have been able to do this, um, hmm. they have been able to work remotely. And, you know, many companies I'm talking to are saying, we're not going back even after the lockdown. We're going to keep doing hmm. this. I see many companies have actually said to their employees, you know, you you will actually be, you um, given the opportunity to stay at home if you want to. Uh, it's changed the dynamic of the way of working for Everline. So leadership and leadership development has to keep track with that. I don't think we have a technology issue. I think we have a leadership issue when it comes to getting that right. And it largely builds around that juggling act between the task and executing on that task, but at the same time creating the social cohesion and overcoming the isolation and the fragmentation and the confusion that is often uh, intrinsic to working in this way.
0: So, Andrew, I'm going, thank you so, so much. If people want to get in contact with you, how should they do it? You're very prolific on LinkedIn. Um, I'm going to have your details in the show notes. Um, how, how can people contact you if they want to find out more
1: about you and for the Bruff Leadership Institute? Probably the best place to go to is broughleadership.com, and mm-hmm. um, that will give them everything they need. Bruffleadership.com.
0: And I'll have those details in the show notes for sure. So thank you so much for joining us today, Andrew. I really, really appreciate you taking the time. And thank you once again for your book, Leadership, The Exponential Effect. I've enjoyed reading it myself, uh, hearing those stories. As you said, the questions that can be asked at the end of every chapter. Um, And so thank you so much for writing it and for sharing the details with us on the podcast. And thank you for this opportunity, Lance. I appreciate it so much. And I hope you, the listener, found this as interesting and useful as I did. If you'd like to contact me, then please do. My email is lance at And the website is www.ideastorm.ca. So until next time, goodbye, stay well and stay safe, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye, Andrew. Bye. Bye, Lance.